a little bit about who we are as a church and what we believe. So, I came to Kuwait in 2008. Um, it's been a long time. It's been 16, our 16th year that we've been here. My wife and I and our kids, we came married, but we didn't have kids, and we had two kids here. Um, this is the longest place I've been. So when people ask me, are you excited to go home for the summer? Uh, it's like a it's like a confusing question. Yes, I'm from the United States, and I love the summer in the U.S., but I've lived here longer than anywhere I've ever lived in my whole life. Even as a kid, I moved around a lot, so having 16 years in one place has been a long time for me. And I originally came, God kind of called us to, um, to Kuwait. We wanted to know what it was like to be in a Muslim nation, um, but we didn't want to go with the missions agency because we were scared. What if we crashed and burned and we wasted a bunch of people's money? Because we were scared. But we came, we got teaching jobs, we've done Bible studies, and then I got pulled in the church leadership, and I felt kind of a calling to lead more. And about eight years ago, we started uh, this church, the Crossroad International Church. And I've done other things in the past. I've done pastoral internships. I've done preaching. Um, I was leading small groups for a long time. Um, one story, <laughs> when I was one of the leaders, the pastor had to go. Um, it was during Good Friday, and the church was doing like, the seven last sayings of Jesus. And he had to go immediately. So I had like five minutes to prepare. He's like, I'm going to go. I got to go to the other service that I'm doing and just do the best you can. And that was like probably the scariest uh, preaching moment that I had. So I had zero time. I was just talking. And I somehow managed to say something useful to some people, but it was not the way I could be prepared. Um, and our church itself, you know, we actually didn't even have a name when we started. It was just me and a few other guys praying, and God called us to start this church. And over time, we were, our first building was in this old building next to the avenues with a giant window AC that, like, would shake and make so much noise. And God brought us eventually from the Best Western to here, and I love the Symphony Hotel. As somebody prayed this morning during the leadership meeting, this place has blessed us. It's been a joy for us. You get great views of the sea. They provide food. And we're here at the Symphony. And I wanted to ask you a question. Um, how much is your body worth to you? If somebody said to you, I will give you a million Dollars, if you have to cut off your hand, would you do it? <laughs> I asked maybe some yeses, maybe some noes, <laughs> right? I would say no though, because your hand you need it, right? You, you you can't get another one. That's it. Our bodies are so valuable that no amount of money would replace it, in my opinion. Now, if it was a billion dollars, I didn't ask that question because I don't want to hear what people say. <laughs> but I would not give a million dollars for my body. But this is what Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 12. If you have your Bible, you can turn there, and we'll also have it on the screen. 
1 Corinthians 12, we're going to read 12 to 27. And it says this, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I have not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I have not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are so as it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. So here's the big idea that I have of this verse and of who our church is. So CIC, Crossroad International Church, is a cross-centered, all-nations Bible-believing New Testament body of believers. CIC is a all nation is a cross-centered all nations Bible-believing New Testament body of believers. We're a body, right? So just as I as I said, would you cut off a part of your body for a million dollars? So Paul is saying the same thing. Like, is the is the whole church preachers? No. Is the whole church sound people? No. But we all have different parts of this body of CIC. So our name, when we came up with our name, we wanted cross to be the first part of our name because the cross is what the church is about. Jesus himself, the point of him coming to earth was to die on a cross. He was the Messiah. Everyone was excited about Jesus because like, he is going to free us from the Roman Empire. We're going to be our own nation again. That's why people were pumped. There's actually, um, if you look, look at the, new, the intertestamental literature, the Apocrypha, there is a huge fervor for the Messiah to come, the anointed one. They were looking for somebody like a King David to come back and rescue them from their physical oppressors. But Jesus himself said, no, that's not what I'm here to do. Right? I'm not here, is this, he, the apostles even asked them, is this the time you're going to restore 
the people of Israel. He's like, it's not for you to know the times and seasons. He came for a spiritual restoration, a spiritual revival. Because he came to save his people from their sins. If you look at Matthew 27, 42 and 43, it says, Now these are the Pharisees who conspire together and put Jesus on the cross. These are who, that's who's talking in this, in this section. So these people conspired to crucify Jesus. And here's what they said while he's suffering and dying on the cross. It says, He saved others, but he cannot save himself. If he is the king of Israel... Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now. It's kind of ironic in a sense. Jesus himself, in order to save people from their sins, he had to be on the cross. Yet the Pharisees still thought that this Jesus, if he's our King David, he would have the power... They were thinking God's punishing him because he was a bad person. No, he was punishing, God was punishing Jesus and he was on the cross because we are bad people. Because we all make mistakes, we all sin. In order to save their people from their sins, Jesus had to do this. So to fulfill his mission of saving people from their sins, he actually could not come down from the cross. He could do whatever he wanted to, right? He was, he was God in the flesh. He said himself, I can send down 12 legions of angels if I wanted to, but this is not the path I'm going to choose because he loved us. He cared for us. Because God himself is perfect and he hates sin. Sin is any sort of missing the mark, any sort of mistake. I mean, think about Adam and Eve. They committed one sin when they ate the forbidden fruit, right? And he condemned the whole earth. Adam was cursed to work the ground. Eve was, was destined to have pain and suffering in conceiving children and birthing them. That's one sin. And he cursed everyone to die. That was one sin. Now, how many times do you think we sin? Do I sin every day? Now, sin is not just with our actions, but it's with our minds and our hearts and our motives. So I may not say something rude to my wife or my kids, but even just thinking it and feeling it, that is a sin. Jesus himself said so. Even my own standards, I have standards even for myself. I think this is who I want to be and what I want to do, and I fail that regularly. So think of a perfect God who is holy and has never sinned and how he sees our sin. And because Adam and Eve sinned, sin has become part of our nature. We were born into sin. Kids are cute, but they are also sinful. Anyone who's a parent knows this. right? If you're a parent, you know that your kids do bad things. I love my kids so much, but they can be the worst, right? They lie, they deceive. The other day, we were looking for a new nanny, and I told all three of them, there's no TV 
while I'm gone. I'm going to work downstairs preparing this sermon. And I, of course, I have a camera in my house. And like, I just want to check out an hour. And I see Elliot like telling the, convincing the nanny to give me the remote and I'll watch some TV. And I came up there, and there was discipline for everybody. But that's how kids are, because he's like, oh, dad's not here, no problem. We are sinful. We, we, we do this naturally. And we're unable to change ourselves. If we were, there would be no need for Jesus. There would be, we'd all be great people if we could change ourselves. Everyone would be happy. The world would be so much better than it is. And because of Adam and Eve's sin, our relationship with God, the environment, and one another was broken, and death entered the world. So God is holy. God is perfect. So think about one sin, and we're evil. It's, it's like, and there's a huge gap between us and God because of sin. God takes sin very seriously. We think, oh, you know, so it's a white lie. It's not a big deal. It's no problem. I'm mostly a good person. I love my family. I've never killed anybody. But no, any sin separates us from God. It's like the Grand Canyon in the United States. Imagine trying to jump from one side to the other. No one can do it. Some might get a few inches farther than the rest, but if you zoom out, they're all falling right off the cliff. That's how we are. Because we cannot get to God of ourselves. And God, because of his great mercy, he chose a people. He chose Abraham. And he chose a people of God. He said, these are my rules. These are my commandments. I will be with you. I am your God. Rescued them from Egyptian slavery. And he put a system in. A sacrificial system for sin because he knew that people were going to sin. And God had to kill animals. Right? Birds or bulls or other animals or sheep, lambs. Right? And we sometimes see people think, oh, we're modern people, so we don't do that anymore because they were barbarians. Right? No, that's not true. Do you think it was any easier for them to sacrifice the lamb or the bird that they took care of their whole lives than it would be for us? No. But God is saying, sin is so serious that you're going to have to kill these animals to atone, to make right the sin. So animals were killed as a way to show the ugliness of sin. Not because God's a mean God. He said, this is what sin costs when you, when you make a mistake. This is what it costs us, what it costs God. There's a cost involved, and that's the life of these animals. Yet animals themselves cannot atone for sin. right? Because animals don't have a moral will. Right? The, the animal wasn't asked to be sacrificed. He was forcibly sacrificed. And they're not made in the image of God. Only people, God made people unique. It says you are made in the image. We are in the image of God. Even though ruined by sin. If you've been to like the Parthenon or any Roman ruins, it doesn't look like it should look, but you can see what it could look like, what it should look like. That's how we are. And it says in Hebrews, looking back on the sacrificial system, he's saying that it is a reminder of sin every year. 
For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. And that's why the cross is central to CIC. Because Jesus was the perfect sacrifice. He was the perfect sacrifice for sin because he never sinned. Unlike all of us. Right? I can't imagine what it was like for Jesus' mom. Like this boy never sins. And his brothers and his sisters seeing him grow up. Never made a mistake. Never sinned in his heart, in his mind, in his actions. Perfect. And he chose to be punished. He allowed this. He actually planned this with God the Father before the beginning of time. So Jesus lived his perfect life. Perfect. More than any lamb without spot or blemish, as the Old Testament says. But he was perfect morally. And God punished Jesus in our place. So when Jesus went to the cross, he wasn't just in the wrong place at the wrong time. He said, I planned this before the foundation of the world. I planned this for this to happen. He says, I'm going to go on the cross. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to receive God's punishment for sin for all of humanity. And God poured out his wrath on Jesus. So Jesus suffered physically, of course, dying of asphyxiation, pulling himself off the cross every few minutes until he actually suffocated to death. But he also suffered spiritually because God turned his face away from Jesus, punishing him for sin. All that what we deserve in eternity in hell, God put compressed all of that onto Jesus on the cross. He chose this. Jesus chose this. So therefore, all who accept, you don't have to be a good person to be a Christian, but you need to accept Jesus' sacrifice. You need to say, I believe that Jesus is my Savior. He saved me from my sins, and He is the Lord of my life. This is what some theologians call the great exchange. So Jesus was perfect, but he got all the punishment for sin. Therefore, we also get, in exchange, we become perfectly righteous before Jesus. When God looks at us, he, if you are a Christian, if you believe, you accept Jesus as Savior and Lord of your life, you receive God's perfect righteousness. That's how he looks at you and, as, and me, as sons and daughters, those whom he loves and cares about and sees us as perfect. Because it says, if you look at Romans 3, 23 and 25, it says, For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. So he was a sacrifice for sins for all who believe. And we are redeemed by his blood. That is what we call the gospel, the good news. The good news starts with some bad news. The bad news, we're bad people. The good news is that Jesus lived that perfect life and sacrificed himself so that we can have life in him. Just as Jesus rose from the dead, validating the sacrifice and showing that there's new life in Christ, we also have that same hope that this life is not all there is. There's another life that we can have eternal life starting now, but it extends into eternity. 
That's the good news. So we wanted that to be first in our name, cross. So that's my first point. Cross is the first part of our name because that's what Jesus did. And if you are not 100% sure that you know what Jesus did for you, please, after the service, see me, see one of our leaders, and we'd be happy to share with you more about what Jesus did. And we would... Our goal is to have people who are not Christians become Christians. You, all you have to do is pray and ask God into your life and accept the sacrifice. You can be a Christian right now if you are not 100% sure. But we also wanted the, the name to be more than just cross. We wanted to be something more because living in Kuwait for a long time, you can see that this place is a crossroad for people. That is, that is, that is, the, that is the first word of our name. Because in ancient times, Kuwait was actually part of the Silk Road. So even in when, when tr spices were traded from east to west and other things, Kuwait was part of that trade route. So it was anciently a, a crossroad, but it's also a modern crossroad. Because look, look at all of you. Like you. If you see what I see, it's like a global hub for people all over the world. Right? We've got dozens of nations represented here from east to west, from within Kuwait from all, to all over the world. And yes, many of people are, doing many, are here for many, many opportunities, right? Maybe you're working for the first time. Maybe you wanted to make more money. Maybe you wanted a better lifestyle. Maybe you wanted to do more traveling and adventures. Now, none of those things are necessarily wrong, but God brought us all here for a reason. And it's a spiritual crossroad as well, because I've seen people do both things. I've seen people who, in their previous location, were faithful tenders of church, seem to have a good relationship with God, and they come here and they shipwreck their lives and their faith. They go off the deep end. They party. They get with people they shouldn't be with, bad relationships, and, and kind of lose control. But I've also seen the opposite, too. <clears throat> Where people come very nominal, you know, maybe their parents went to church, maybe they went to church occasionally, and they got involved and they God transformed them, and they left Kuwait on fire for God, so God could use them even more in their next location. So it's a it's a it is a crossroad for for all of us, physically, spiritually. I can tell many stories of people who have, have come, not super interested. Even one of our previous pastors, he was a helicopter mechanic, and God used him to become one of the pastors, previous pastors of this church. And we want to be part of that. We want to be part of what God does in people's lives at CIC. People, you have limited time here, right? Most of us are not going to live our whole lives here. Some of you may. Many of you will not. But we want to be help you on your spiritual journey so that when you go to the next place, you are closer to God. You are closer to Jesus. You see the need of a good church. Several people told me today and every week, we want to be part of the church. That's a great thing. And we want people to leave Kuwait for the next place they go, thinking about going to a good church, having a relationship with Jesus, getting their kids involved in something. We want to be part of that. So that's why it's, it's crossroad. Yes, in your life, I said this last week, your life 
is more than the money you make. It's more than the opportunities you have. It's more than the traveling that you get to do. It's about having a relationship with Jesus. Right? Yes, you may have an occupation, which is your job, but God also has a calling on your life. God owns all of us. Yes, we all have jobs. It's not wrong to make money. It's not wrong to travel. But you also need to consider what is your calling here in Kuwait? What, is God, what has God called you to? Not just what you called yourself to. What has God called you to do while you're here? I would implore you to pray about that because God can do incredible things through your life and through my life. But only if you're willing to listen to his calling. You have unique opportunities to meet locals, to meet other expats who maybe don't know anything about Jesus or maybe know Jesus but have now come to church. You can be a part of that kingdom, God's kingdom, and you can be used by God. To fulfill his purposes, not just your own. And that is truly satisfying. That's why I've been here for 16 years. Because when I see God using me and using others, it is deeply satisfying. So finally, we are we're a crossroad, we're an international church. So the church... Uh, it has a lot of different meanings. There's first of all the universal church, which is all people everywhere who believe in Jesus. That's the universal church. But it's also a local church, right? When Paul wrote that, uh, that we talked about at the beginning about the parts of the body, he wrote that to a local congregation in Corinth. There were people there who loved Jesus. There was a church there. He wrote that to them specifically. And the church is a place where we as believers are stirred up by way of reminder right, about the truths of the cross and the Bible. That says that in 2 Peter. right? I will hopefully not say anything completely new because that would likely be heretical. The church has 2,000 years of history behind it encouraging one another who are in the world five days a week showing their values to us we come here on Fridays to say, you know what, no, there is a calling in my life that's beyond work and money and duty. And this is, I love the International Church because it is truly a small picture of what it will be like in Revelation, where people from every tribe, language, and tongue will be worshiping the God and the Lamb who is slain for us. And we... The church is God's way to reach the world and to exist. There is no such thing as Lone Ranger living your life by yourself Christianity. That does not exist anywhere in the Bible. Now, sometimes we read with our interpretation of our individual culture, individualized culture, and say, oh, this means me personally. That is nowhere in Scripture. The church is the expression of God's kingdom on the earth. Right? If Jesus himself says in Matthew 16, 18, And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The Bible does not say the gates of hell will prevail against your personal relationship. Now, yes, of course you need a personal relationship with Jesus. But the church is God's expression of manifesting that on the earth. 
And just so you know, we are a Protestant evangelical church. And we are also developing relations with other churches in Kuwait and beyond. Because we don't want to be a solitary island ourselves. And when we say evangelical, I just want to be clear what that means. There's usually four tenets of being evangelical. We believe that Christians must have a born-again Christian experiences where you say and you believe and you are changed that Jesus lived a perfect life and died for your sins. And he's the Lord and Savior of your life. Number two, evangelical means that Jesus' death on the cross atones for everyone who believes. Right? If you believe in Jesus' death on the cross, then your sins are forgiven past, present, and future. Number three, we believe the Bible is the ultimate spiritual authority. Now, I talked about the Bible extensively last week, but the Bible stands above us. It tells us how to live, how to behave, how to live our lives. And number four, as believers, that we should actively and voluntarily share our faith with people through witnessing and through good works. That's what it means to be evangelical. And finally, we're not just a church, we're an international church. The first international church was in Antioch. It was Jewish and Gentile believers coming together. Because there were Jewish people from all over the world, from different cultural and linguistic backgrounds. Now, even today, you see that today, people from different cultural, linguistic, theological backgrounds, and we, want, we like to have a broad spectrum of secondary beliefs. It's not going to be as exact doctrinally as maybe a church back home with a, back in the United States or wherever you're from that might have a church in every street corner. There's less churches here. So we're going to have a broad spectrum of secondary beliefs. We have the closed-handed issues of Jesus the cross, what that means, what evangelical means, but there's many other open-handed issues. We want to be flexible and diverse when it comes to secondary issues, whether you believe, you know, who, who began the relationship with God. Was it God who's sovereign first, or is it your reaching out to Jesus? People have different beliefs and you can still be part of this church. So our, our, our statement of faith is actually the Nicene Creed, which is a 4th century um, statement of faith to rule out people who don't know Jesus, but flexible enough so that many people who do know Jesus can be part of it. And if you look at our website or you just Google Nicene Creed, you can read it yourself. So if you believe this, you can be a member So, in conclusion, as we get ready to take communion, the cross is for you. If you are not sure, ask me. We are, you are here at a crossroad in your life. So maximize your spiritual impact if you can. Think about not just your career, but your calling. And Ben, if you can come up. Be part of CIC. If this is where you feel like you have a family here, there's great fellowship. We're going to have a great lunch afterwards. And I just want to encourage you to attend, to serve, to give, to love, to reach out to people in your spheres of influence. He has a plan and a purpose for your life that is far more glorious, wonderful and transformative than just making money or exploring the world. So as we conclude, 
the cross is central to what we believe at CIC. We're also all at a crossroads in our life, spiritually, physically, and CIC is a spiritual home. We are a body of believers with many parts, and you all have gifts. Right, that verse in Corinthians is talking about spiritual gifts, the different gifts we have, and they all make up the body. And all are essential. And we can reach the world in Kuwait. There's locals who are coming here. There are people who are unreached from all over the world, from 100, 100 plus nations. So we're going to maximize our spiritual impact while in Kuwait. I just want to plead with you to do that. So now we're going to move to a time of communion. At CIC, we celebrate open communion, which means if you believe what I said, that Jesus lived a perfect life and died for your sins, you are welcome to take the bread and take the juice as a reminder of Jesus' broken body and shed blood for our sins. If you are not sure, then you're just welcome to sit. We're going to, they're going to, play and then we will take the bread and the juice together in just a moment so whenever you feel ready you can stand up there's uh, tables in the middle in the back to get your communion juice and bread
says in um, 1 Corinthians, actually the chapter before, the verse we read, he says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he gave, had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So as we take, we're going to take the bread together. And just remember Jesus and what he did for us in his broken body. You can take the bread now. It continues, in the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord to death until he comes. So let's remember the new covenant in his blood and we proclaim his death until he comes again. Let's take the cup together. All right, let's stand up on our feet. We'll do one final song and then I'll give you the benediction.
give you the benediction now, but just to remind you, at about 12 o'clock, maybe 12.15, we'll head over to the Marina Mall at the McDonald's Food Court. Church will pay for your lunch. Just come out and fellowship. So we'll leave in about 30, 45 minutes and go. So if you need a ride, please see me, see one of the leaders. Also, next week is a fall kickoff, so get some cards, give them out to people. Uh, when we're finished, yes, I'll give you a few more announcements in just a moment. But I want to give you the blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And God, I just pray for this food that we'll eat at the Marina Mall, that you just bless it and bless our fellowship and conversation. We ask for this in your great name, King Jesus. Amen. Amen. Go in peace. If you have kids, pick them up. Please feel free to stay. There's food. There's snacks. Fellowship with one another. Have a great week.